بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله بكنتنين وثفق بصلاة Bab, the chapter which deals with the description of the salah. The last mas'ala that we spoke about last week was the issue where there is, as we said, a major dispute amongst the ulama, which is the issue of the ma'moon, right? The one that's praying behind the imam. Does he have to recite the fatiha or not? Right? And we explained and we gave differences of opinion and we mentioned that there are two views which are strong where they, the scholars continuously differ over. And what are those? what is that view? We said that in the silent prayers, the ma'moom, he has to recite the fatiha. The dhuhr and asr and sitra, he has to recite the fatiha. Likewise in the silent raka'at, like the third raka'at and the fourth raka'at, the the Imam recites softly, he has to recite it by himself. The difference of opinion comes in where the Imam recites loudly and he listens to the Imam. Does he then have to repeat the Fatiha or not? Right? And this is where we see there's a difference of opinion. The one group of scholars says that the Imam's Fatiha counts for the Ma'mum's Fatiha, so he does not have to recite it. Because he said Amin and so forth. This, this is, you know, he's as if he's with the Imam, right? And the other group said, he has to recite it because of the hadith that says, there is no salah for the one who does not recite the Fatihatul Kitab. Understand? And this is where the scholars differed, as we said. So on the one hand, we've got, we could say the one view is closer to caution, which is to recite the Fatiha. And on the other hand, it's easier not to recite the Fatiha. Especially, for example, in the salah, Let's say it's Maghrib and the Imam recites Waladdalin Amin and he immediately starts which is a short surah and you still got to recite the entire Fatiha. By the time he is done with the surah, going into the ruku' you are still reciting the Fatiha. At times this can be a little bit you know difficult and you are not listening to the Imam's recitation any longer because you are busy with the Fatiha. You know, all of these issues come up, but still, so those scholars say he should have sabr and he should continuously recite the Fatiha, right? Allah alam, which is the stronger view, Allah knows best, right? To be on the side of caution, recite the Fatiha. To be on the side of caution, recite the Fatiha softly, even if the Imam does not give you an opportunity to recite the Fatiha and Allah knows best. The next hadith is narrated by Anas radiyallahu anhu. Anna al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa Aba Bakrin wa Umara kanu yaftatihuna salata bi alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen muttafaqun alayhi. Anas, he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhuma, they used to open the salah bi with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen And this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim 
Then the hadith in Muslim, the narration in Muslim adds a saying which is لا يذكرون بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم في أول قراءة ولا في آخرها He did not add or he did not mention in fact it doesn't say he they speaking about who? The Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar they did not mention the basmala Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim not in the beginning of the recitation nor at the end in another narration in Ahmad and Nasa'i and Ibn Khuzayma the wording of the hadith is la yajharuna bi Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim they did not recite it loudly they did not recite the basmala loudly right in another narration in uh, by Ibn Khuzayma it says they used to recite it softly. They used to recite it softly. So these are hadith. What do they deal with? What's the mas'ala now? The issue that we are discussing is regarding the basmala. The basmala, i.e. to say Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Right? Do we recite it in the salah or not? And if we are going to recite it, do we recite it loudly or do we recite it softly? This is the issue that we are discussing uh, now. Okay? Um, the issue also goes back to another issue, which is, is the Basmala a part of Surah Fatiha, or is it not part of Surah Fatiha? Are you with me? So the ulama discuss this issue. Is the Basmala part of the Fatiha, or is it not a part of the Fatiha? Okay? If you say it's a part of the Fatiha, then that means you have to recite it loudly, like you recite the rest of the Fatiha, because it's a part of the same Surah. Does it make sense to recite the part of the Surah soft and a part of the Surah loud? And if we say it's not a part of the Basmala, or sorry, it's not a part of Surah Al-Fatiha, then in that case, what do, what do we mean then? We mean then that we recite it softly and then we recite the Fatiha. So there are two opinions. The one opinion says it's a part of the Fatiha. The Basmala is a part of the Fatiha. And this is the view of the Shafi'is. This is the view of the Shafi'is. And that's why we find that the Shafi'is, they recite the Basmala loud. Right? Go to any local masjid, 95% of the masajid are Shafi'i masajid. If you listen to the Imam recite, you will hear him recite Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Correct? He recites the Basmala loudly. Why? Because he's a Shafi'i and he follows the Shafi'i madhab. Understand? Majority of the people that's brought up in Cape Town, this is how they recite. Because they are brought up upon the views of the Shafi'i madhab. The other ulama, they say that the Basmala is not a part of the Fatiha. Like this is the view of the, the Hanbalis, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, right? He says, and they say, that the Basmala is a, is a specific or a separate ayah on its own. It's an ayah on its own. It's not a part of the, the Basmala. Sorry, it's not a part of the Fatiha. The Basmala is not a part of the Fatiha. It's a separate ayah that's on its own. Like we find it at the beginning of every other surah of the Qur'an, except for surah to Tawbah, right? Except for surah to Al-Bara'ah, okay? And Ibn Uthaymin, rahmahullah, he says, وَهَذَا الْقَوْلُ هُوَ الرَّاجِحِ This is the correct view. This is the correct view that the Basmala is not a part of surah Al-Fatiha. It's an ayah on its own. 
that is found in the beginning of every chapter in the Quran except for Surah At-Tawbah. Understand? What's the evidence? The evidence is in a hadith which we explained over the last few weeks we've been speaking about this hadith. We spoke about it in Allah's name and attributes and we all also spoke about it in the fiqh of salah. The hadith is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the hadith Qudsi, Qasamtu salata bayni wa bayna abdin nisfain. I divided the salah between me and my slaves into two halves. Right? So when the slave says, Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, what does Allah, Allah respond to him and says? My slave has praised me. And he says, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Allah returns and he says, My slave has exalted me. Right? Similar meanings, honestly. My slave has exalted me. Allah then, or the, the slave then says, Maliki Yawmiddin. Allah then says, Majjadani Abdi. We spoke about this in Al-Majid. Majd. Majjadani Abdi. My slave has glorified me. Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. Allah then says, Hada bayni wa bayna abdi. This is between me and my slave. And for my slave is that which he asks. Ihdina salat al-mustaqim, salat al-ladhina an'amta alayhim, ghayr al-maghdubi alayhim wa al-dhalim. Allah then says, Hada li'abdi wa li'abdi ma sa'al. This is for my slave and whatever he asks, he will have. Right? What's the point in this hadith? What does this hadith prove? That the Basmala is not a part of the Fatiha. Why? It's not mentioned in the it's not mentioned in the hadith. The hadith says when the slave recites, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Allah responds. Ar-Rahman Rahim. But there's no mention of the slave saying, Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Understand the evidence? Okay? So it's not mentioned in the hadith. Also, Ibn Uthaymin then says. That's from one angle, so it really counts as an evidence. The other angle is if we look at the, the other the, the other point, which is Allah said in this hadith Qudsi, I have s- split the surah into two halves. I have split the surah into two halves. So if we count the ayat, Alhamdulillah is one, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim is two, Maliki Yawmiddin three, Iyaka Na'budu is four, which is the middle. Which is the middle. Then, إِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ is five. صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ is six. غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَالْضَالِينَ is seven. So we've got three on the one side, three on the other side, with إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا in the middle. With إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا in the middle. Understand? So in this way, without counting the basmala, it's evenly split, basically. It's been, it's been split into two halves, as Allah mentioned it in the hadith. Split evenly. Right? This is from the other angle that the Sheikh makes. And he says, if we count the Basmala, let's for argument's sake say, okay, let's take the view that the Basmala counts. So that then the Basmala is ayah number one. Alhamdulillah is two. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim is three. Maliki Yamidin is four. Iyakin Abudu is five. Ihdina Surat Al-Mustaqim is six. And seven would be Surat Al-Ladina An-Amtalim Ghal Maqtubi Alim Al-Dalim. Right? So that still counts as seven. Then the Sheikh says, this is like an inappropriate way to split it into half. Why? Because if you look at the seventh ayah, now we are counting Sirat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim ghayr al-maghdubi alayhim al-dalim into one verse. So it's extremely long verse. And secondly, it, in terms of the meaning, 
it deals with two two different things. Surat al-Ladina na'amta alayhim is one thing. Khair al-Maqdubi alayhim al-Dhalim is another thing. You understand? In terms of the meaning, it also doesn't, it basically doesn't balance. It basically doesn't balance. If you split that into two ayat, then you have eight ayat, which, and it can never be eight ayat because the hadith says it is sab'ul mathani, the seven of repeated ayat. So the Sheikh then says that without a doubt the correct view is that the basmala is not a part of the Fatiha. Right? It's not a part of the Fatiha. And this is why the Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar, they did not recite it loudly. They recited it softly um, when they recited the Fatiha. Tayyip. Benefits of the hadith. Number one, we prove, we are, or rather we are deriving an evidence from the actions of the Prophet This is what he used to do. And also from the actions of Abu Bakr and also from the actions of Umar. The hadith mentions that this is what the three of them used to do. Right? So the question could be asked, is it not sufficient to use the Prophet's action as, a, as an evidence? Is it not sufficient? Do we have to mention Abu Bakr and Umar? What they also did? The reality is, it's sufficient. If this is what the Nabi did, then that's sufficient. But... There is, there is benefits by mentioning Abu Bakr did the same thing, Umar did the same thing. That's how Anas narrated the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. There is benefits in this. Benefit number one is that this action of the Prophet remained. It was not abrogated or replaced by a different action. Clearly it remained if in the Ummah. The entire stay of Abu Bakr and Umar this was the practice. Understand? Secondly, this is a type of consensus. This is a type of consensus and ijma'. Because if you look at the era we're talking about, the era of the Prophet add on to that the era of Abu Bakr. Add on to that the era of Umar. That was man, Umar. Right? What was the practice? The practice was the same. When they started the Fatiha, they started it with Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen and the Basmala was recited softly. And the Basmala was recited softly. This is like a, a, a type of consensus. Who's going to differ with this? Who can differ with this? This was the action of the Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar. Two of the Khulafa or Rashidin. When they led the Salah, this is how they led the Salah. Understand? It's like a consensus which is an evidence in and of itself. Okay, another benefit of the hadith again shows us the virtue of Surah Al-Fatiha. It shows us the virtue of Surah Al-Fatiha that this is how we start the Salah. salah the hadith says this is how they would start and open up the up, open up the Salah. So we look at the version in Muslim which says that they did not mention Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. They did not mention Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. What does that tell us? In actual fact, that tells us there was no mention of it at all. That version alone. If we just took that wording, if somebody gave you that hadith alone, without the other wordings that I mentioned before, if we gave you just that wording, a person would think that they never said the basmala at all. 
They would just start Allahu Akbar, say Dua al-Istiftah, say A'udhu Billah, and start Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, without saying the Bismillah softly. That's what we get from that wording. You understand? And that there are scholars and schools of thought that says the Basmala doesn't have to be recited at all, not even softly. And this is a view that's found at the Malikis. They say it doesn't have to be recited, not even softly. And this could be an evidence that they would use. Because it says, they, he did, they did not mention Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Look at the word that's used. The word says, they did not make mention of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Are you with me? But the other riwayat, they explain, you know, they explain it further. What's meant by this word, not mentioned. The other riwayat says, that, la yajharuna. They did not make it say it loudly. They did not say Bismillah loudly. Which means they did say it, but not loudly. And the other narration says, Kanu yusiruna. They used to say it softly. They used to say it softly. So this makes it clear what's meant by them starting by Bismillah, Alhamdulillah. They used to first say the Bismillah, but they would say it softly. They would say it softly, and then they would start with Alhamdulillah loudly. So that is the the Sunnah, and Allah knows best. Ibn Uthaymin mentions at the end of the hadith a mas'ala, and that is, if you are in a city or in a place where people usually say the basmala loudly, right? And you now lead the salah. What should you do? Should you, read, should you recite it loudly or should you still recite it softly? Okay. The Sheikh says that if there's a fear of fitna, there's a fear of fitna that the people can have a major issue and it becomes a fight and an argument and a this and a that, then it's maybe best to recite it softly, or sorry, loudly, to avoid the fitna. Because this is not a bid'ah. This is not an issue where there's no evidence. We're going to get to other evidences. And we know this is the view of Imam Shafi'i. So on an issue like this, you are allowed to then recite the basmala loudly. You understand? To avoid fitna, but then to educate the people. This should be the goal of the Imam. To educate and show them this hadith. The action of the Prophet, Abu Bakr and Umar. That for all that time, when they were the best of leaders Islam had, this is how they did the salah. You understand? So, if there is a major fear for fitna, then it's best to say it loudly, but then you can educate them. And then try and incorporate by, by saying it softly. Right? In Cape Town, I would say, there's no fitna. There's no fear for fitna over this issue. There might be one or two staunch individuals, but the general masses say no. That some people say it loud, some people say it soft. And you get amongst us Hanafis who say it softly. So if the Hanafi Imam stands in front, he says it softly and nobody has an issue. So in our case, I would say, there's no fear for fitna and Allah knows best. Right? So for us, if we lead the Salah in a normal masjid, we start with Alhamdulillah. And it doesn't become an issue, Alhamdulillah, for that. Taib, any questions on this hadith? The next hadith is from Nu'aym al-Mujmir, radiyallahu anhu. Nu'aym al-Mujmir. Al-Mujmir means the one who would perfume the masjid. So he was called al-Mujmir, meaning he used to bring jamar, which was the, the, like the coals. He would bring that and light that perfume. He was then given this nickname al-Mujmir, radiyallahu anhu. He said, Sallaytu wa ra'a Abi Hurairah, radiyallahu anhu. I prayed behind Abu Hurairah, he says, and he recited 
Abu Hurairah then recited Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Abu Hurairah recited what? Bismillah. He recited the Basmala loud. Thumma qara'a bi ummi al-Qur'an. Notice the wording that he uses. Then he recited the mother of the book. What is this? What is he saying? If we look at that wording already, there's a difference between the two, isn't it? He recited the Bismillah and then he recited the Umm al-Qur'an, the Fatiha. Which means he differentiated between the Fatiha and the Basmalah, as if it's not a part of the Fatiha. Are you with me? حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغَ وَلَا الضَّالِينَ Until he reached وَلَا الضَّالِينَ قَالَ آمين. He then said آمين. Abu Huraira وَيَقُولُ كُلَّمَا سَجَدَ وَإِذَا قَامَ مِنَ الْجُلُوسِ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ Every time he made sujood, every time he came up from sitting, he would say Allahu Akbar. You know the takbirs. ثُمَّ يَقُولُ إِذَا سَلَّمَ Then after he completed this, this salah and he made the taslim, Abu Huraira then said وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ by the one in whom, in whose hand is my soul. He, t- he takes an oath now. He swears by Allah. Inni la'ashbahukum salatan bi rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, takes an oath. That I have imitated the salah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I have imitated the salah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, the issue here, what is the issue? The issue that comes up here is, he said the basmala. He doesn't say loud or soft. But what do we get from this hadith? What is the first that comes to your mind? He said it loudly. Isn't it so? He must have recited it loudly for this man to have said that. And this is what is the apparent meaning of the hadith. That Abu Huraira, he said it, uh, he said it loudly. And at the end of the hadith, after the salah, he turned to the people and said to the people, I, he takes an oath by Allah. To say, and he says, I then imitated the salah of who? Of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So if you look at this part of the hadith, what does that tell us? That he turns to the people, takes an oath by Allah. Now when somebody takes an oath, it must be a serious issue. When somebody takes an oath, there must be a reason for him to take an oath. So he takes an oath to show the people the importance of what he just did. And he then says, I imitated and I, and I basically resembled the, the actions of who? The salah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Meaning what? Take heed of what I did. Imitate what I did. This is the way that we should be making salah. This is the way that we should be making salah. Okay? Benefits of this hadith, we find it's permissible to recite the basmala loudly. It's permissible to recite the basmala loudly. That's what the hadith proves. So the Shafi'is, do they have an evidence? They would use this as an evidence. So we see their reasoning. You understand? We see their reasoning. So how do we combine this with the previous hadith? Now this becomes an issue. What do we do now? Now we know that Abu Hurairah recited it loudly. Which one do you follow? Forget the scholars. Let's leave the scholars for now. This is the action of who? Abu Hurairah. Abu Hurairah says this was the way the Prophet did it. Fair enough. But we have the previous hadith. What did the previous hadith say? The Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar. This is how they prayed. That is more emphatic than this hadith of Abu Hurairah saying, I imitated the prayer of Rasulullah That hadith tells us that the way the Prophet recited, the way Abu Bakr and Umar would recite, was not to recite the basmana. 
That's more emphatic as an evidence. Understand? So how do we combine between the two? One option here that Ibn Uthaymin gives is that Abu Hurairah, if you look at this hadith, and you look at the context of the hadith, where he's telling the people that he is showing them the way that the Prophet wasallam made salah. So in this hadith, there is what? There's a, there's a hint of ta'lim, of teaching taking place. He is doing things to teach the people how to make salah. Understand this? So like we have the hadith of Ibn Abbas, for example, where Ibn Abbas made salatul janazah. And in the salatul janazah, what did he do? He recited the fatiha loud. What's the sunnah? He recited soft. But why did he do it loudly? He says, I did this to teach you the sunnah. Meaning that you must recite the fatiha even in salatul janazah. So the one thing that one conclusion we can make is that Perhaps Abu Hurairah recited it loudly to teach the people that the Basmala must be recited as well. Are you with me? Because the previous hadith is emphatically clear. It wasn't just at a certain time that they did this practice. The entire era of Abu Bakr and Umar as well, the Basmala was not recited loudly. I understand this point. So from the one angle we can say that... Abu Hurairah did this to teach the people. This is a possibility. This is a possibility that this is why he recited it loudly to teach them, like Ibn Abbas said, to teach you the Sunnah. He recited the whole Fatiha loud in the Janazah Salah. In this case, this is, an, this is a possibility. So when there's a possibility like this, we go back to the original ruling, which is it must be recited softly, like it was done by the Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar. Understand this? Another way we could combine between these two hadith is that the asl, the general rule is it must be recited softly. But now and then you can recite it loudly. Now and then you can recite it loudly. But generally speaking, we recite it softly. Every now and then you can recite it loudly. I'm not sure. Then that's maybe the view that they follow. And again, that is a balanced view. Because again, we're acting upon both ahadith. But the asal is clear that it should be recited softly. Understand this point? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And Allah knows best. Taib. Um, another benefit of this hadith is, Amin was mentioned. That he, should, that, that, that he said, Amin. Okay? Uh, I think the next few ahadith will deal with one of the ahadith coming up will deal with Amin, so I'll go into more detail over there. Well, Ibn Faymin brings up in Mas'ala here, so he says, Does the Ma'mum say Amin? When do we say Amin basically? Is it after the Imam says Amin? Or after the Imam says Waladhalim? Right? And again, here yeah, some scholars say, No, when the Imam says Waladhalim, you should wait for him to say. Um, then you start with your amin. Because you must follow the imam. You understand? And then other hadith says, when the imam says amin, you should say amin. You get this? But Ibn Uthaymin says, that's not what's mentioned. That's not what's meant. He says, when the imam says, waladhalim, you say amin. Whether he says it or not. Whether he says it loudly or softly. Whether you hear him or not. You heard waladhalim, you then say amin. Right? Because... 
the hadith in Sahih Muslim says, when the Imam says, وَلَدْضَالِينَ you should say, Amin. Doesn't mention whether Imam said it or not, and so forth. As for the other hadith which says, that if the Imam says, Amin, you should say, Amin, he means, when the, when the Imam gets to the point of saying, Amin, يعني, you should say, Amin. It's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean, when the Imam says, Amin, you must say, Amin. And Allah knows best. Right? And Allah knows best. It's not a major issue to go into. The main thing is, Say Amin. Right? And I think the clearer view is when he says, Waladalin, you say Amin. I mean, sometimes the Imam won't even say Amin. And then what? You're going to wait, you're not going to say it, and so forth. Um, <coughs> the takbir with every sujood and every qiyam, standing up and coming up from sitting, this we know. There has to be a takbir. That we say, Allahu Akbar, when we go down, Allahu Akbar, we come up, and so forth. Right? What's the ruling on this takbir? What's the ruling on those takbirs? We know the first takbir is a rukun. You cannot have any salah except that you made the takbir to the ihram. But the other takbirs, like going into ruku, coming up, uh, going to sujood, coming up, and so forth, the, the, the opinion is that it is fa- it's a fart. It's a wajib. It's not a sunnah, it is wajib. Meaning you have to say Allahu Akbar when you go down and come up. If you forgot to say it, then you can make sajid to sahu at the end, to make up for that. Understand? If you left it off on purpose, then you have to remake the salah. Because you have left off a wajib purposefully. If you left off a wajib purposefully, then you have to remake the salah and Allah knows best. Tayyib, um, <coughs> The last point in this hadith, the Sheikh says is, if you look at the wording of Abu Huraira that he used very specifically, he says, I have imitated the Salah of the Prophet Right? He's trying to show the people specifically, this is how he made Salah, so therefore you should make Salah in this manner. You know, to give them that, that push, that desire, that urge to make Salah in this manner, to teach them appropriately. Understand? Um, and Allah knows best. Is there any questions on this hadith? Tayyip. The next hadith is also from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. He says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِذَا قَرَأْتُمُ الْفَاتِحَةِ فَقْرَأُوا بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ فَإِنَّهَا إِحْدَى آيَاتِهَا رَوَاهُ الدَّارَ قُطْنِ وَصَوَّبَ وَقْفَهُ This hadith again says that Abu Hurairah says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, when you recite the Fatiha, then recite Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim for it is one of its ayat. For it is one of its ayat. This hadith is not by Dara Qutni who said that the hadith is waqf or mawkuf. Which means what? It's weak. Not necessarily weak, but it's actually the wording of Abu Hurairah. It's not the wording of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Do you understand? It's the wording of Abu Hurairah and not the speech of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Are you with me? Huh? Sorry? The word that you said ma'kuf, right? Ma'kuf. So that means it's a meaning, it's a wording of a sahara. Yes.
So it's an opinion of Abu Huraira basically. Right? When it comes to the opinion of a Sahabi, can it be used as an evidence? At times it can be used as an evidence. For example, when they give us tafsir and they explain many things to us, we take what they say and we act upon it. At times, we do not accept it. So for example, if we have a clear evidence and a statement of a companion, which goes against the clear evidence, what do we take? The evidence. Quran Sunnah. Right? It's a possibility. Sometimes they, they didn't know everything. Okay, it's a possibility this might happen. If they differ with any hadith, we take the hadith. If they are saying something that adds on to the Quran and Sunnah meaning, it, it gives us additional tafsir or this additional explanation, we then take it. We benefit from it. You understand? Simple example she gives is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, hadith. That there are people who purchase lahwal hadith, vain speech and vain talk to misguide people and to lead them astray with no knowledge. Ibn Mas'ud says lahwal hadith is music. Lahwal hadith is music and he swears by this. Can we take this tafsir? Yes, we can take this tafsir because he's giving us an explanation of what's meant by the ayah. And he did not formulate opinions based on his hawa. We know this of the Sahaba and so forth. Allah, I'm not going to go too deep on the issue of when is it an evidence, when is it not an evidence. But at times it's an evidence and at times we do not use it as an evidence. In this case here, what, what's happening? We got the hadith, the first hadith, the action of the Prophet Abu Bakr, Umar. And now we've got the opinion of who? Abu Hurairah. Which one are we going to follow? The action of Abu Bakr, Umar, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that is that he did not recite the Basmala loud. That still takes preference over this narration as well. طيب, the next hadith is also from Abu Hurairah. <coughs> he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِذَا فَرَضَ مِنْ قِرَاءَةِ أُمِّ الْقُرْآنِ When he completed the recitation of the Ummul Quran, the mother of the book, Ayy the Fatiha, he raised his voice and he said, Ameen. Yani he said, Ameen with a, a loud voice. And this hadith is narrated by Adar Qutni, who said it's Hassan al-Hakim who authenticated it. It's also found in Abu Dawood. The hadith in Abu Dawood reads that uh, from Wa'il ibn Hujr, he says that I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recite غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين فقال آمين ومد به صوته He said آمين and he raised his voice by saying آمين You understand? This hadith is in At-Tirmidhi Abu Dawood and it's an authentic hadith which proves that he said that the, the آمين loud آمين was said loudly right? This is proven by these ahadith Um then Ibn Uthaymin says, as for those who say that it should be done softly, and I think the Hanafis, they say it should be done soft. So you say Amin, but you say it softly to yourself, but you do not say it loudly. He says this is a weak opinion. It's a weak opinion because it goes against the clear-cut ahadith. The authentic sunnah proves that it should be done loudly. The authentic sunnah proves that it should be done loudly. Right? And then the Sheikh goes into some, you know, he, he speaks about how some of them are they are restricted to their opinions that they follow 
and they do not follow the evidences. And he says that they make excuses for their opinion. Instead of submitting to the evidence, they then do what? They make excuses and they try to make an evidence, they try to make a way to prove their madhab, to prove their opinion or the opinion of their sheikh and so forth. So he says some people on this issue, what did they say? They said it was said loudly to teach the people. Like we said about the Basmana. Like we said about the Fatiha and the Janazah Salah. He says this was said, they say it was said loudly to teach the people that you must say Ami. Understand? So the Sheikh says that these are excuses that they are making. Because there's no evidence that it was done to teach. There's no evidence to say that. The hadith of the Janazah says, we did this to teach the people. The hadith of Abu Hurairah, we said, it goes against the clear authentic hadith. And secondly, he did it and he said, this is the salah of the, of, of the Prophet this is what you should follow and so forth. In this case, there's no such mention. So to say it's, it's, it's no, this is just done in that way, you need to have reasoning for that. What's the evidence? Why, why are you saying this? If you are saying this because that's your opinion that you are following, then this is not, you are not actually following the Dalil. You have to say it based on clear-cut evidence. And this is what we find often, whether it's an Aqeedah issue, an issue of Bid'ah or Sunnah, whether it's an issue in Fiqh like this, you find this often with people who are blind followers, or who restrict themselves to a particular school of thought, or a particular Sheikh's opinion, and so forth. So they don't actually look at the evidence. They take the, they take the view, so the Sheikh says here, يَعْتَقِدُونَ أَوَّلًا they first have a belief. They first have their, their belief and their opinions. Then they look for proof. Are you with me on this? They first formulate an ev- a, a, a viewpoint. Then they go search for evidence to substantiate that viewpoint. And this is the way of Ahlul Bid'ah in general. You understand? The way of Ahlul Sunnah is, we first look for the evidence. And then we derive the evidence. And then we formulate our opinion based on the evidence. Are you with me? This is the way of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah as opposed to the way of Ahlul Bid'ah. So the Sheikh goes into a lot of detail on this issue. I'm not going to go into all of the details, but in a nutshell, this is what he is saying. That there are people who refuse to say the Amin loudly and they make excuses to defend their Madhab's view. But they don't actually have any evidence to substantiate their viewpoint. They don't have any reasoning to substantiate their viewpoint. You understand? And this is a, it becomes a major issue. And the Shaykh, subhanAllah, he speaks so beautifully, he says, had it not been that we have good thoughts for the ulama, you know, we respect the ulama, so we respect them. We have good thoughts for them, we give them excuses. But had it not been for this, we would have said, this is like the Bani Israel. This is what they used to do. You know, when the evidence comes, they reject it, they formulate their own opinions, they make excuses, they do this, they do that. You understand? Allah Musta'an, this is what it can lead to. So, uh, it's a major issue in reality that when you keep turning away from hadith and you keep going back to this one's opinion and that one's opinion and so forth, this is not the way of the Sahaba or Abu Bakr and Umar or any of them. Um, <coughs> another example he gives is after the Salah, the Prophet said, that oh, this hadith of Ibn Abbas, which, where the Prophet ﷺ, when he made the dhikr after the salah, he would raise his voice slightly. So after the salah, he would make dhikr slightly loudly by himself. Not in jama'ah, not dua. You know, the dhikr of the salah, slightly loudly. But this is clear-cut that this is what he did, loudly. 
Are you with me? Not everything that he did loudly was done to teach people. Are you with me? Like for example, if we look at the rest of the salah. If the, the rest of the salah, when he said Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim, did he do it loud or soft? Soft. Why did he do it loud to teach? Subhanahu Rabbi Al-A'la. So many things he did softly, but they, they would be taught afterwards. So not everything that was done loudly is done as a teaching method. At times we have to look at the whole context, the whole, all of the hadith on the issue, and then we come to the conclusion. I saw the Amin, we say it's a sunnah to say it loudly, and those who say it softly, they have no evidence for the statement, <clears throat> or no authentic evidence at least, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The last hadith that we'll take is from Abdullah ibn Abi Awfa radiallahu anhu, he said, Ja'a rajulun ila nabi said, Inni la an min al-Qur'ani shay'an. I'm unable to take anything from the Qur'an. What he meant here was is, I'm unable to recite anything of the Qur'an in Salah. يعني, I haven't memorized anything of the Qur'an. Give me something basically, teach me something that will take its place. When I make you Salah, I cannot recite the Fatiha. The Prophet said, Subhanallah. Say Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. La ilaha illallah. Allahu Akbar. And la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-ali al-azim. This is what you should say in place of the Fatiha. So we know the Fatiha is a rukun. We've spoken about this. If you are unable to recite the Fatiha, like a new Muslim, for example, person accepts Islam, obviously doesn't know the Fatiha. What does he then do? He should start learning the Fatiha from day one because it's a rukun of the Salah. But as he's learning, in the meantime, he can make the dhikr. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, wa la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-aliyya al-azim. In place of the recitation. In place of the, of the recitation. Right? Quickly, what does subhanallah mean? Perfection belongs to Allah, and Allah is free from any imperfection. Alhamdulillah, all praise and thanks is unto Allah. And this is a statement out of love and glorification of Allah. La ilaha illallah is no deity worthy of worship except Allah. Kalimatul ikhlas, the statement of sincerity, the statement of deen. That only he is worthy of worship. Nothing else is worthy of worship. Anything that's worshipped besides him is batil. Whatever is called upon from besides him is batil. Wallahu Akbar, Allah is the greatest. He is greater than every single thing. And that there is no power or might or change except by Allah. Right? Nothing can happen. Nothing can change. Nothing can alter except by the power of Allah. By the will of Allah. By the decree of Allah. By the might of Allah. Al-Ali, the most high. Right? We know Allah is above everything. In every way. In every essence. Al-Azim, the greatest. Is Azim in every single way, every name, every attribute is an attribute of Azamah, of greatness. Right? Um, few issues to discuss on this hadith. If this person is unable to recite this in Arabic, right? Like a new Muslim, can he recite it in English? No. Huh? No. So he cannot recite Quran, he cannot recite Arabic. So we have to say Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, Wa La Ilaha Illallah, Wa La Hawla Wa La Quwata, is unable. If that is the case, 
then be in lots okay for him to recite it in English. If only in that case. If he can recite it in Arabic, he must recite that at least in Arabic. Right? Secondly, what about a person who cannot recite properly? You know? Can he then skip the Fatiha? He should try his best, basically. Like a person who has a speech defect. Some people cannot recite Ra's and, you know, certain letters because they have a, you know, a defect. In that case, they are excused. They recite as best as they can. Are you with me? Should they lead the Salah? Preferably, they should not lead the Salah because they have a defect. And if somebody is there who can recite better, and, and then he should be leading the, the Salah. Another mas'ala is, what if he knows Qulwallahu Ahad, or the Quls, but he doesn't know the Fatiha? What does he do in the Salah? Does he do the Tasbih in place of the Fatiha or the Quls? Or any other ayah? That's one view. The other view is that he actually does anything else of the Qur'an. Because if you look at the wording of the Hadith, the Hadith says, I am unable to recite anything from the Qur'an. He didn't say the Fatiha necessarily. But we know he's referring to the Fatiha because that's the Rukun. So teach me something in its place. Many of the scholars have said if he knows a different part of the Qur'an, he can recite that instead. As opposed to the Tasbih and Allah knows best. Um, so we stop there inshallah. Next week we'll deal with some of the things that the Prophet used to recite in the Salah. Um, inshallah. Sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa ta'ala. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka.